taking up the sword of Christian theology and the shield of apologetics while taking truth into the arena of ideas. You are listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by BellatorChristie.com. Now join your hosts, Brian Chilton and Curtis Evelo, as we enter into the arena of ideas. Of the salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully and prophesied the grace that would come to you. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, who was in them, indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that that to none to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached and preached the gospel and to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things which angels desire to look into. The scripture was 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12. Taking up the sword of Christian theology and the shield of Christian apologetics while taking the truth into the arena of ideas. This is the Bellator Christie Podcast. My name is Curtis Avalo and I'm joined by Brian Chilton as we answer your most pressing apologetic and theological questions of the day. Well, hello everyone. We've been praying. We've been praying that you, as you engage with God's word, that it blesses you and confirms those words into your heart, soul, mind, just as just as Jesus commanded us to do: love God with our heart, soul, and mind. Well, hey, we have a almost doctor on our on our team. <laughs> Let's welcome along almost Brian, uh, almost Doctor Brian Chilton. O- almost Brian Chilton. That works too. <laughs> Hey, yeah. as I tell everybody, I'll answer to anything. Just don't call me late for supper. <laughs> oh man, yeah, yeah. So you you kind of fill the fill everybody in uh, where you're kind of at with that. Yeah. So I just finished uh, my my last comp and uh, last Friday. I feel that it went fairly well. Of course, I'll find out here. You know, within a few months. Uh, it may be a month. I've heard from another graduate that it may be that by the time I get to the dissertation, by the time I hear anything. But uh, but but yeah, excited about it. Got everything. Everything's wrapped up now, except for the dissertation, and I've got uh, some research mm-hmm. to go to. And it's actually coming together very well. Uh, I'm I'm really pleased with how that's coming along and and finding out some just fascinating things. Um, awesome. Just making some. I'm hoping to make some connections that I think is really going to. Um, strengthen my prayer is uh, strengthen our uh, trust in in the teachings of Jesus or the authenticity of the teachings of Jesus uh, in in the New mm-hmm. Testament Gospels at least through Matthew through Matthew Mark and Luke but I think John can be included within that as well so we're excited about oh, this awesome. uh, I, obviously I covet your prayers because uh, in the dissertation it's the final step. Uh, before before the hooding and and all that stuff that goes along with it and uh, um, just excited about it you know it's been a long journey been at this since 2017 and and God has uh, brought us through uh, and I say us because including my family brought us through some very uh, trying times and um, he's got a purpose for this I don't know what it is I, I was kind of a little hesitant about even entering the program initially but uh, God opened the doors and so we'll just give him all the praise and glory for it all right yeah and you just 
and you know through god's grace you just uh, blasted through uh bibliology so <laughs> that's pretty good yeah, grace is the critical <laughs> word there <laughs> grace as the god's grace <laughs> i didn't even know that word existed bibliology but you know it really is it honestly is as a look at it of course you know as we were talking last week is jesus kind of teaches us these principles but uh it it really was i think one of the most important classes of the entire program how to how do we approach any written text and obviously that's going to impact how we approach scripture Uh, sure do do we try to read ourselves into scripture or do we try to read with the intention of understanding what the author, capital A, being God, and the the author, small a, intended. And so I think that is, it holds yeah. a lot of impact in the way we do biblical studies and even theology. Right. So that helped you uh, even solidify even more the dual authorship of the Scriptures then? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And Nicholas Volderstorff, uh, he wrote a book called Divine Discourse, which... This this really coincides with um, here again. This could be a whole other podcast. What we were talking about. There, there's even a title for this: the mentality of God. How God can speak to us without that necessarily invoking evoking new revelation, as you find it in Scripture. And and the way He does this is sheer genius. And so I mean that there's a lot of good stuff. A lot of good stuff. Uh, in in that class, it really has cool. huge impacts in several different areas of theology. That's cool. Would he ever just do uh, that bibliology course as just a, a separate course and not not in the uh, doctorate program or or what? I, I mean, I could see. I mean, if there's something we we wanted to do, even for the podcast, we could even release a series of podcasts going over. You know some of the fundamentals. I mean, obviously, there are some deeper issues that that you get into with this, but we could we could definitely cover the essentials of the course um, right here on, on Bellator Christi. Oh, that'd be fantastic. That'd be cool. I mean, do do something where uh, you know we could have some engagement with some listeners that they could uh, you know email in answers or what have you, and we can just uh, engage that way. That'd be good. Yeah, absolutely. And we do we do encourage people. Um, you know, there at one time it kind of comes in spurts. People will either it's either feast or famine. We get a lot of questions at the website, or we don't get hardly any. So we do encourage people right. to send your questions in. Uh, any there's every questions every question we're open to every type of question. So mm-hmm. no matter what your question is, send it in, and uh, mm-hmm. we'll try to answer it here on the podcast, or maybe even write an article about it. Right. Right. Yeah, that's it's kind of uh, slowed down on articles uh, on on Bellator Christie right now, but uh, kind of uh, we all understand the the do and just timing right now. So oh yeah, yeah it, I know it, for me it's the same thing. So well, everybody's super busy right now. You know, uh, there's a lot of stuff going on, and uh, just you know, it, it, it is what it is. We're, we're, ho- hopefully, yep. after 2011, when we get into 2012, after the dissertation is finished, I've got I've got a lot of ideas on some uh, some articles that I would some top, top, different topics I'd like for us to cover in written form and and by by the podcast as well. So, That'd be awesome. Yeah. So if you if you if you read regularly, hang tight. I know we have yep. a little more gaps in our in our. Um, 
in our publication, but but hang tight. This coming around, you know, just, yep. just give us time. Yeah, it'll come around. I know we. I've I've been. I've had. I have a whole bunch of articles um, started or headlined, but there's no content. <laughs> so I've got it there, but I just kind of have to start thinking about it and, and processing how I want to really present it. So. Well, and the good thing is now I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm. This is kind of a thing. I, I, I hate having to do this. It's it's a saying that I've heard people say, which I absolutely abhor. Do as I say, not as I do. Because I honestly right. have diarrhea of the keyboard a lot of times when I start writing. <laughs> but they honestly say that 500 words is the best article. I've, I've very rarely been able to to limit it just to 500 words. But like <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's hard. It's hard because when you're trying to, you know, like when you're trying to explain even just the simplest things of how God interacts with us in, in nature and the things that we see um, in, you know, how we're you know especially in agriculture how we see things happen it's hard to explain it and get a base you know a a actual foundation for the article to actually spring off of to really kind of bring that punch absolutely uh, at the end in and so 500 words yeah that's you got to be pretty good (laughs) at writing at 500 words yeah i've never mastered that art So we're we're going through. This is our our uh, number two of the series of the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to dig into a little bit more. Looks like we're going to start through uh, Matthew five thirteen, and then we're going to end in thirty two. Um, and through that, we're going to be talking about some pretty hard stuff here. You know, absolutely. Um, I'm excited to get going on it, but it, this is stuff that definitely is going to uh, create some some time for people to some things for people to ponder throughout the week of how how to um how does this look in in your interaction in daily life with people absolutely and and they're very challenging teachings that jesus gives us and it really yeah. i mean i had i had to as we go, as we're going through this i mean as i always have to do of course john wesley tells us that we should always be evaluating our lives right. in christ and right. and i think the sermon on the mount is a good way of doing this but just kind of going back mm-hmm. as you said how are we how are we living out the sermon on the mount mm-hmm. and i have mm-hmm. to say that I, I i'm not there not even close to being there yet yeah it's a swing and a miss almost daily with me so <laughs> <laughs> But I'm sure you know it's that's that's uh, that's the whole process of sanctification, right? That's exactly right. <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> uh, so you want to go ahead and start reading the scripture, or yeah, let's go ahead and do that? the uh, first section was what uh, thirteen through fifteen, I think. Six. Uh, 13 through 16. 13 through 16. Oh, okay, that's right, yeah. Uh, so 13 says, now this is after he gives the Beatitudes, and he talks about being blessed even though people persecute us. He says, you're the salt of the earth. If the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light so shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. 
Yeah, so what does Jesus mean by being salt and light? So, so two different things here. Salt, uh, salt has many uses. So, so let me just first of all say, salt in the Old Testament is most often identified as a purifying agent. Exodus thirty thirty five says, "Prepare expertly blended incense from these. It is to be seasoned with salt, pure and holy." Leviticus two thirteen says, "You are to season each of your grain offerings with salt." You must not omit from your grain offerings the salt of the covenant with your God. So, you know, you can look at 2 Kings 2.21, Ezekiel 16.4. Ezekiel 16.4 says, uh, uh, it's talking about the umbilical cord and, and you are not rubbed with salt or wrapped in clothes. So, salt has a purifying agent. So, the so what he's talking about is a is the purifica- purifying nature of truth and the purifying nature of righteous living and the proclamation of the gospel. Um, so contaminated salt, however, does not promote purity. A contaminated lives, contaminated, contaminated gospel doesn't produce fruit. So um, the verb translated losing its taste indicates a foolish and immoral behavior and so what he shows is that by the salt being thrown out and trampled underfoot, so I, think, I think you had mentioned, Curtis, before that uh, the salt could be thrown out on the road, uh, but also it can be thrown out uh, if you're wanting to kill vegetation, if you're wanting to kill right. things, you can yep. throw it out on that section and it yep. will kill it. So the link yep. there, Jesus is saying, is an unrighteous lifestyle if someone's proclaiming Christ and they're living unrighteously and they're teaching a false gospel, it's going to bring great destruction upon people. Uh, so it's very important that we get the gospel right, or the core essence of our theology. Of course, we're going to disagree on different issues. That's well and good. But is the core nature of our theology correct, and are we living out those virtues uh, otherwise, if we're not, they can bring great destruction. Right, right. And so, you know, like the salt, they would, they would, you know, what good would it be other than to just be thrown out on the roadways to, to keep the weeds down or to keep the, you know, to be trampled underfoot and crushed and, and made into the roadways. And, and so as that, as that got, more and more you know as as it as it built up you could see that being um starting to become what jesus was talking about there yeah and you can even see this you can even see the destructive i mean salt is good we we have sodium in our bodies we need a certain amount of sodium in our bodies uh to actually get the chemical reactions for a heart potassium and sodium is important uh, you don't want too much obviously but but you need the right amount right. um Salt is a preservative, you know, country ham. You know, it has a lot of sodium in it, but why do they do that? To preserve it. Uh, So salt has good benefits, but at the same time, if it's used inappropriately, it can bring great destruction. And, you know, Curtis, and I'm not the only one, I I and um, many other individuals who are in chaplaincy work talk all the time to people who have been... um, treated poorly by pastors and churches. Um, maybe it's been a bad message they received, or maybe they've been treated mm-hmm. you know, un, you know, uh, in an unrighteous manner. And mm-hmm. their heart is, is very guarded 
against anything religious because of the way they had been treated previously. And so this just goes, the correlation is very strong between that and what Jesus tells us. Jesus warned us of this very thing, um, that our religion must be rooted and grounded in Christ and his love and holiness. Otherwise, the religion aspect can be used to bring forth great destruction uh, instead of mm-hmm. being a benefit. Right. And so salt not only is a purification, but it's also a preservative. Exactly. It can be used as a preservative. They would rub it on meat and, and preserve it in, you know, they would actually coat it in meat. And, um, uh, it's you know, the I same know as for example, Right. For example, um, uh, some Amish um, around here that uh, will do if they get uh, if they're putting up hay and uh, in the small square bales and it's and it just happens to be just a little bit moist, they'll actually take and uh, and throw, um, you know, uh, salt, uh, rock salt. It's kind of like some bigger, heavier salt. They'll actually throw that on the on the hay bales and it actually goes down in there and it dr- helps dry it out and preserves it it's the craziest thing but so when when we were talking about that preserving it um it can be a preservative in many different ways so it can preserve you know be, us being the salt it can preserve the the word of god the 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 very words of god it can preserve um the actions of of christ and preserve um, help preserve the church, absolutely. People to 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 God, yeah. And Karen Swallow Pryor actually yeah. wrote an article about that that I shared on my Facebook page just recently uh, about why you know despite the abuses that have happened. I mean, she's she's coming at this from an evangelical Baptist perspective. There have been a lot of abuses that's happened in the Baptist church. A lot of bad things has happened in the Baptist church. But she brings forth the argument that if we if we completely abandon it, we're abandoning it to the people who are abusing it. We're, we're abandoning right. and, yeah. and That's not only true of a denomination. That's true of the church in general. True. So if we abandon it, you know, we're leaving it over in the hands of, of those who seek to destroy it. And... Um, I think I thought she just did a, a stellar knock-up job. Uh, she knocked it out of the park uh, with that article. Yeah. I thought. Yeah, yeah. That that's that's something that you know you kind of I guess when you when you think when you don't uh, consider that aspect that she was talking about. If if we give if we give up uh, if we give the leeway to it, then we're giving it. Um, giving it up to the people that uh, that are actually doing the harm, mm-hmm. and so I, I I get what she's saying there for sure, yeah. And so, as far as light, what is what does Jesus mean about being light there? It, it, very interesting. He, here's another one of the comps. I, I was talking. It was uh, another one. Of the, you know, another one of the comps was uh, was again. You know, uh, from some of the classes I took. Uh, they're individualized according to what you know every, every student takes. But I took a class on the theology of the prophets. Just so happened to be one of the first classes I took, which was the, that was the problem because I had to go back and try to remember remember all of the things that had been taught. But uh, Isaiah is such a powerful book, and there's so many allusions to the ser- to the servant. Uh, the suffering servant throughout the book, but the light of the world is an allusion to Isaiah nine one and two. 
Um, he's talking about the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Uh, Isaiah 42, 6 says, I am the Lord, I am the Yahweh. You, I've called you for a righteous purpose. I will hold you by the hand. I will watch over you, appoint you, be a covenant for the people and a light to the nations. Isaiah 49, 6, uh, he talks about being a light to the nations and uh, to be my salvation to the ends of the earth. Of course, uh, the Messiah says, I am the light of the world. He also says, now you are the light of the world. So Jesus' Jesus's disciples, now get this, Jesus' disciples are to be an extension of his ministry. We're, we're to be almost like many Jesuses. I mean, we can never be the Jesus, but we are, because we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we are to, um, to, to bring forth, as the Great Commission tells us, bring forth the gospel not only by what we say, but also by what we do. So whereas salt is a preservative and a purific- purification agent, Light exposes and, and illuminates, uh, demonstrating the glory of God coming through uh, the person. So here's another. I was reading through a, commenta- a commentary which says this. The righteousness demanded by the Sermon on the Mount is a divine gift that God imparts to Jesus' followers. So this isn't something that comes from us. This comes from the overflow of the Holy Spirit moving in, in and through our lives that He's going to produce these type of actions as we are trying to be, as we are living out our lives to be, uh, as, as you probably heard, you may be the only Jesus some people, you may be the only Bible some people ever read, you may be the only right. Jesus some people ever see. That's actually a biblical perspective to that because we are to be um, extending the ministry of Jesus to the world. Right. So two things here. I'm just writing them down so I so I don't get distracted because I want to stay on track with this. Because Jesus later on talks about men love darkness and their deeds are done in darkness because they don't like the light. They don't come to the light. Right. And and here we see an example of of him saying that that you are. You are the light. You are the light of the world. You are the light drawing people to. And you think about it. When the light, when it's dark outside and there's one little glimmer of a flashlight, your eyes instantly draw to it. Instantly. No matter how dark it is, as soon as you see that, no matter how even like minuscule that light is, your eye is drawn to it. And and so... If you think about how the gospel is to be, is to go out and to be spoken of, it's to be that where where people actually recognize something different, something um, uh, not just different, but also um, something that draws their attention to it. We don't have to get radical and crazy and and do all these goofy things to to get people to pay attention to the gospel. Just the gospel itself is the light, is what we need to speak of. Just living out the daily principles that Jesus teaches us. And and Jesus is is teaching this to most of the people who hear this message are farmers. Most of the people who hear this message are individuals who are just living out daily lives. And he's telling them, go out and bring heaven to someone. Um, and, and this goes into a whole other aspect of the holiness of God, that, that the holiness of God impacts everything it touches. 
Uh, it transforms everything it touches. Uh, and so, like manner, if we have received Christ, then then if the light of the world, then His light is should be shining through us. Right. And for modern day understanding, think about this: when when it's dark in a room and you turn one light on, it doesn't matter how bright that light is or not. You turn one light bulb on, you know, one one switch, and the darkness is gone. Absolutely, and he, and here and here's I love how you mentioned that because there's so much, there's a lot of truth to that. The darker the time, and this is what we as a church need to understand. We spend so much time fussing and complaining about politics, but here's the thing we have to understand: the darker this society becomes, the lighter the light of Christ is going to shine to the world. So. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's troublesome, it's scary, I get that, it's frightening, and a lot of things going on, you know, are, 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 are scary. I, I understand that completely, yeah. and, and I understand the, the reactions that people have and the fear right. that people have, but understand this, God is allowing this to happen for a certain reason, and I believe it's for the same reason that he allowed the people to go into exile, it's the same reason why he allowed a lot of the things to happen to shine forth the light of his message to people who have never heard it and to people who are ready to receive it. Right. Yeah, and I mean, this is here. here's another rabbit trail, just a little one. But, <laughs> um, you know, and then uh, you think about what was being said um, as the persecution started, um, in what'd you say in 65, 68 AD, somewhere in there, where Nero was lighting lighting Christians on fire, saying, "You are the light of the world." Look at this. Yeah, and and so but, that would Paul the apostle and Peter most likely died around sixty seven. Some people say sixty four, but I think everything I've seen seems to suggest more of a date of sixty seven AD. Um, so yeah, Nero in the sixties, middle late sixties, he, he's he's persecuting churches pretty. I mean, Christians pretty intently, intensely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And the second thing I was going to point out is, um, so a sermon was preached a while back that I was that I heard. This was a long time ago, um, and he was saying where the where the Sermon on the Mount was taking place, where Jesus would have been standing would have been right on the sea, and he would have been able Jerusalem would have been right behind him, where, where they would have been standing, or where he would have been teaching. And, and so with that, you know, Jerusalem being the light of the world, um, it was known as that because of the the temple was glittering with the gold on the sides of it, and and so people would see that and recognize you were to be that you are to be the 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 light of the world that's what it was considered you, you know i never i've never been to israel so i don't know how well you could see one from the other i, I do know that jesus is most likely teaching this in galilee uh, but it very well may be that he's pointed in the direction of because uh, and, and let me just say he probably taught this principle in fact we know in john's gospel that he teaches being right. the light of the world in a different scenario that was in jerusalem so i think that mm-hmm. holds but maybe even with the sermon on the mount that he is pointing even to the direction of jerusalem so that whether they could see the temple or not they have in their mindset what's in the temple the light of the temple so that automatically brings that back to their mindset 
And right, there mo- you go. most likely in the synagogues, they may have even had, uh, well, there I know they go. would have had a menorah in there, but uh, yeah. they would have had yeah. lights in there as well. So, yeah, absolutely. I-, I think that's definitely in his mindset, and he's reminding people uh, of that very point. Hmm. Powerful. Well, that was only question one. So. <laughs> So number two um, is uh, verses five, uh, excuse me, Matthew five, verses 17 through 20. All right. So 17 through 20 says, don't think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. Now let's pause here. The, we, we say the Old Testament, but the Old Testament was the Bible in Jesus's day. So this was divided up into two sections, law and prophets. Sometimes it was divided up into three sections, three, the, yeah. the law, the prophets, and the writings. And the writings would have contained the, the Proverbs, the Psalms, Ecclesiastes, Job. Um, so here again, what he's doing in this section is he is summarizing the entirety of the Scripture. We call it Old Testament. That would have been the Bible of their day. Uh, so he didn't come to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish but to fulfill Okay, for truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter. Okay, now I think he says uh, iota. Let's see, let me pull this up. Um, okay, well, the smallest letter or stroke of a letter. I think it says yod and iota uh, or yoda, and uh, I'll have to look and see. This translation does it a little differently, but not mine, the sm- mine says jot and tittle. Jot and tittle. So I think yep. that's going probably back to the Hebrew, the yod, which is a which is the y, and it's like a little looks almost like a little comma, uh, except yep. it's up on the top. Yod and tittle. So anyhow, not the smallest letter or the stroke of the letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. Oh, wow. Think about that. I mean, he was... (laughs) Jesus in the in the Sermon on the Mount definitely lays out a positional thinking. Mm. You there is a side you want to be on, and there's a side you don't want to be on. Most certainly, yeah. So, how does Jesus fulfill the law? Great question. So, uh, Jesus, we have to understand here. Um, I can't remember if I said this on the podcast or if it was where we were talking about this before the podcast. The Pharisees weren't bad people. And, and in fact, they they did have they did hold a lot uh, to they did hold to the grace of God because they realized it's by God's grace that they were brought into this covenant. That it was by God's grace that they were called the, the chosen people. But by this time, there were uh, the, the rabbinical law had come about an oral type of law where you had a, the first group were called the Sopharim, the, the first generation of rabbis. And the Sopharim said that uh, that we can disagree with one another, but the law of God is superior. Well, right around the time of the first century, uh, you had a second group called the Tannerim, and then there's a third group called I think it's the Anarim. I, n- I never can say the third one right. Well, the Tannerim says said, well, we can disagree with one another, but we can't disagree with the interpretations of the Sopharim. So the Sopharim were almost elevated to the point. Of, of divine teaching. Uh, so 
and a lot of what Jesus is doing is he is he's combating that oral law and bringing people back to the genuine understanding of scripture back to what God intended by his law because God really even though he gives a law and and the law is given to separate the people from the people of the world so even the dietary restrictions you know we talk about maybe they're healthier and it may be but the point is, is that he's he's leading them to adopt certain practices which will make them unique and separate from other nations and other people. Uh, and, and it's to really an evangelistic impact to bring people to himself. So Jesus defended, defended himself by, say, by, by the false charges saying that he defied the law. But he's saying that he comes to fulfill the true intention of the law, even in the Old Testament. The, the uh, just shall live by faith. Paul quotes that. He didn't. He didn't come up with that. He quotes that from the book of Habakkuk. Uh, things like I desire mercy over sacrifice. Jesus teaches that, but that actually comes from the Old Testament. So this whole issue, this whole teaching of grace, is actually in the Old Testament. But the problem is, is they began to to create a hedge around the law, and um, so it. The interpretations had become legalistic in that regard, and it and and for some people, not all Pharisees. It's important to remember this: not all Pharisees, but for some Pharisees, it became more about the oral tradition and became more about the show instead of genuine worship. And these are the things that Jesus is bringing people back to: genuine, authentic worship, and and to the true, genuine message of the Old Testament. Oh, and here we, here we see yeah, the smallest... So there again. I'm just going to say real quickly, the smallest letter of the Hebrew alphabet is the Yod, which resembles an English apostrophe. The stroke of a letter is a slight pen stroke that distinguishes similar letters. So Jesus' statement shows that he regarded the Old Testament as accurate, reliable, even down to the smallest detail. Yeah, and so... With with the with the Pharisees, or with just Jesus fulfilling the law like that, my my question then arises: They were the 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 Hebrew people were to be were to be actually the light of the world were to be the the uh, spokesman uh, for 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 God and drawing all people to them. But they looked at it as, you know, well, if if we're if we're going to protect, or if we're going to be those people, then we need to protect. Um, if we're going to be be God's spokesman, then we need to protect ourselves from being distracted or or being pulled away or being um, uh, b- becoming part of the culture mm-hmm. rather than actually living about within the culture. Yeah, and Richard Niebuhr, so, he he writes a book so, talking about five uh, different what does ways Jesus people. Mean? He he wrote a book called, you know, talking about five different ways people approach culture, and even within Judaism, it's, it's important people understand that when we talk about first century Judaism, this is a lot like Christianity in the sense that there were very different sections among Judaism. So you had the Pharisees who were very much 
uh, integrated in society, but they held their um, b- beliefs strongly and, and were trying to live out those beliefs and culture. You had the, the Sadducees who were all about culture with very little belief system involved, and then you had the Essenes who completely removed themselves from co- the culture. So, you know, yeah, they completely exactly. separated because they thought the end of the world had come by that time. So, yeah. um, even in Judaism at this time, it's a, it's a very dynamic, it's, it's not a one-dimensional movement. There, there are several different sections even within Judaism proper in the second century. I mean, excuse right. me, first century. Second Temple right. Judaism is what I'm trying to say in the first century. Right. And we've we covered quite a bit of this um, in several different podcasts uh, early in 2020 I want to say I think so um, early 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 2020 somewhere in there so um, you go back and start looking for some of that stuff and start finding the historical part of that to actually see where we're picking up from that Excellent. so uh, second part of that Brian uh, what does Jesus mean by the least and the greatest in the kingdom? Isn't everyone of the same status? And how does this help answer Jesus' rebuke of the Pharisees in verse 20? Well, I, I'm going to have to give a very quick answer because I notice our time is getting away from us here. So I'll just answer answer this very, very quickly in saying that while everyone will have a glorified body, while everybody is part of the family of God, it's not necessarily true that everybody's going to have the same status in their responsibilities. Now, because and, and because you see, Jesus gives the parable of the talents. Remember, he talks about the talents where uh, this this individual gives. Uh, the, right. the, these these disciples uh, various amounts of talents there to go out and buy and sell and uh, to make a profit and you know one is given a little bit and they they have they have a great amount the other one's given they come back with a little less and then you know even a little less still mm-hmm. to Jesus is to the, to the one who um who is who is given responsibility even more will be given to them in the kingdom of heaven I'm paraphrasing that. Uh, Right. We see also in the First um, and Second Corinthians that there's a different type of judgment for Christians than there are for unbelievers. Unbelievers go to the great white throne judgment. Believers go to the bema seat or the judgment seat of Christ. And there, you know, everyone who's at the bema seat, they're saved. It's, uh, but what a person does in the body of Christ is going to be offered back as rewards. And so I believe that right. there's going to be different responsibilities in God's kingdom, in the millennial kingdom. There's going to be different responsibilities in the new heaven and new earth. Is everyone going to have the same responsibility? No, they're not. Uh, so, and here's the interesting thing. It may be that some people who are very humble and, and, and meek and mild, that they're given great responsibility in God's kingdom, they, but they may be completely missed and ignored by the majority of people, but they may be seen great in the kingdom of God, whereas someone who is all about the show, they're all about being seen, you know, they're still God's, they're still God's child and they're still trying to work for the Lord. But because of the way they go about doing things, their reward might not be as great as a person who's humbly mm-hmm. serving the Lord. So um, it's just something to consider. I don't. I think all of us are going to be equal in the sense that we're all going to be part of the God's kingdom. We're all going to have glorified bodies. God's going to love us all the same. 
but I don't think we're going to be equal in the responsibilities we're given in God's kingdom. What does that mean? I really don't know. Uh, but I do think that there's going to be different um, things that we do in heaven, and it's going to be assigned to different people. And that's going to be in the book. That's going to be in the book. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, Matthew 5, uh, 21 through 26. 21 through 26. Okay, says this. You have heard it was said... Uh, to our ancestors, do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says, Raka, are you fool, will be subject to hellfire. Uh, so if you are offering your gift on the altar, and there you remember. Now hear him again. Remember, he's teaching this in the Galilee, and, and the people would have to go to Jerusalem to offer the gift. So if you're offering your gift on the altar in Jerusalem, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother and sister, and then come and offer your gift. Reach a settlement quickly with your adversary while you're on the way with him to the court, or your adversary will hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer. You'll be thrown in prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out of there until you've paid the last penny. Oofta. Oofta is right. O oofta. <laughs> like I said, there's <laughs> in, in this whole thing, there's uh, the, Jesus' teachings here. There's, there's definitely a... Uh, uh, a, a side you want to be on and a side you don't want to be on. That's exactly right. So he's definitely showing us that. So how does Jesus clarify and reinterpret Lex Talion's for the believers? So so Lex Talionis is the, uh, the law of the tooth, uh, or it's an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. So right. some people believe, and in, in one of the commentaries I read I rightly said the, the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible never teaches us to hate someone. It just doesn't. Now, yeah, there are warring passages where people had to go out and, and buy warfare and do what they had to do. But, but there again, it doesn't tell us to hate people. It tells us to love people. Uh, I mean, that's what Leviticus, what was it, 19, I think, uh, the second great commandment. Love right. your neighbor as yourself. Uh, even tells us to be good to those who are foreigners, good to those uh, and different individuals we come across. But uh, Jesus is telling us here that what he's also going to say in the next section is that sin begins in the heart. Um, and so if we're constantly living our life to, to, to seek retaliation against everybody who does us wrong, we're going to be bitter people and we're going to constantly be looking for revenge. Jesus says, forgive. I think he's what he's telling us. Forgive, make things right. And as Paul tells us, I believe it's in the book of Romans, uh, try to live at peace with all people as, as much as you can. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean... Like what you were saying, um, you know, and it's it's hard, it's difficult to read in the, in the Old Testament when you hear stories of of uh, the Hebrew people were were um, to go out and to completely eradicate um, a people group or what have you. But we got to remember that they were a tool of God's judgment. Um, and absolutely, you know, they had been told, you know. And um, um, I can't think of the book. Oh, oh, it's God a Moral Monster, I think is the name of the book. Right. It, yep, yep, it, that's uh, a good one. Uh, I was trying to think of the writer. I can see his face. I can't think of his name. 
Uh, well, anyhow, it's got a moral monster. Look it up. It's a great book. He even makes the argument there that some of that language may have been um, warring language, and it may have been directed at right. not necessarily the in totality of the people as far as genocide, but maybe directed more towards a um, like Jericho, which was a which was a military outpost, military city. Yeah. So, so the yeah. people there would have been would have been trained militarily to. to mm-hmm. So, so there are things, nuances we could even go through in that to to look through those teachings. But, but the general thrust of the Old Testament is to teach is teaching a moral code that God has mm-hmm. for us, and and it all comes mm-hmm. down to the grace of God given to right. us, and we live out those virtues. Uh, by by uh, God working through us, right. and you see as the Old Testament progresses, you see those moral codes being refined more and more and more. God never condones these certain things that are in there, you know, like uh, uh, multiple wives or or uh, you know blaspheming God or any of this, any of these kind of things that you can imagine. He never never condones it but he allows it to be a a speaking point of this is why we don't do it this is why because you you know wherever wherever somebody has multiple wives it never turns out good exactly well and it's it's the nature of revelation you know revelation's progressive you know because even even the, the temples themselves started off in tents and then it you know became into the temple you know to the temple as we see in Jesus's day and then we're told of a millennial temple that's going to come at the millennial reign of Christ uh, or around right. that time but all of these temples are foreshadows of this of of God's heavenly court in heaven there there's symbolic representations of that court but as as you go along and the temples come about uh, you, you get a better picture about what God is trying to communicate through that, and mm-hmm. you know, and and times change, and you know, let's let's be honest, let's be fair, you know, the people going through the patriarchal times, going through, grow, you know, uh, living through the times of the judges and through early Israel, it, it wasn't easy, you know, in those times, and so uh, mm. they, they they faced a set of circumstances that we don't necessarily face now. Not right. saying that God, yeah. you know, w- w- wanted things to happen a certain way, but it was necessary to permit things to happen a certain way. Right, right, yeah, and we and we see that in the outer workings, God still blesses, um, blesses those uh, mistakes and those points that were made. I mean, look at Abraham with the, uh, you know, with Ishmael, you know. Exactly. So um, that's that's a whole other section in a story but it still was a blessing of god god told him that he would bless him mm-hmm. and there would be many nations that would come out of him so you, you look at that I, I think that's definitely something that we need to continually be reminding ourselves and remind others that that uh, the old testament is there to act as a as a proofread for us what to do and what not to do absolutely and it's god's revelation and you know, right. he, there are things in the Old Testament, granted, that don't make sense. That, but it's not that they require extra work for us to understand the right interpretation of it. Um, mm-hmm. But at the, at the end of the day, we need to go back and see what the moral code behind uh, the law given, what that is, and what God's intention mm-hmm. was. Mm-hmm. 
Kind of like uh, would be nice to have the road to Emmaus talk. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, in uh, Jesus' theology, can a person hold a right relationship with God and hold bitterness and grudges in their hearts? I don't think so. Uh, I don't. I'm not going to say necessarily if you hold bitterness and grudges that you lose your salvation. I, I don't think that's the case. Right. But I, I think that uh, I mean because I think the salvation is a matter of faith. It's a matter of trust and grace and God's grace. But I do think that your relationship with God will be damaged. You know, the Bible even tells husbands who mis- says that husbands who mistreat their wives, God refuses to hear their prayers. It may right. be that a person's prayer life is going to be impacted, and and the fruit that they could produce will be hindered because of these issues. So I, I don't think it's a salvific issue as much as it is a sanctification issue. Some people may be stunting their spiritual growth by not giving things over to God as they should. Right. So the next one is uh, Matthew five twenty seven through 30. All right, real quickly, he said, You have heard it said, uh, do not commit adultery, but I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has committed adultery already with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away, for it's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown in hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it's better that you lose one of your parts of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. <laughs> This is this is hyperbole, so <laughs> yeah. nobody out yep. there poke your eye out. Don't poke your eye out, and right. don't shoot your eye out, and right. don't cut your hand off. Jesus is is yep. teaching in a high, uh, hyperbole here. Doesn't mean it to yep. be taken literally. And you would be amazed how many times I've come across this question with people in just in a discussion. You know. Um, there, there were, you know, they just say stuff that just makes you just go really. But they'd say, "Well, why does he want you? Why does he want you to poke your eye out?" I'm like, "Did you not read the rest of it? Because it'd be better for you to enter heaven blind in one eye than." To I said, "You know, think about it. He's not talking that he wants you to do that. He's saying if it is what's causing you to do it, and you are." And and you were so that so that stuck on that thing so badly. It'd be better to enter heaven without that, than than to than to actually um, enter heaven or to be going to the gates to to be turned returned. You know. So so t- two terms here we've got to understand, and this that we find this in Jesus's teachings. Hyperbole means an intentional exaggeration for the sake of making a point. Jesus right. does this a lot of times, and it's a rabbinical practice. Not just Jesus, but sure. it's a rabbinical practice. Sure. Allegory is is where the, uh, the an instrument represents something else. So the eye in this case represents a uh, an immoral thought or a perspective. The hand in this in this in this teaching represents a deed. So he's teaching have good thoughts, have good deeds, because your thoughts produce your deeds. If you the think deeds, about yeah. something long enough, you're going to end up yeah. doing it. So when he's talking yeah. about cutting things off, he's talking about remove the things that's causing you to lust. 
if if you have if if the internet's causing you to lust or if, uh, if a television program's causing you to lust, turn it off. Cut yourself off, mm-hmm. or at least use it responsibly. If if mm-hmm. you are um, if you have a relationship with a coworker that's that's growing into something it shouldn't, maybe you need to ask your boss to put you with someone else, or maybe distance yourself from that person. That's what he's talking mm-hmm. about. He's talking about remove the source of the lust that you have and remove yourself mm-hmm. away from that. Uh, that's what he's talking about in mm-hmm. his teaching. And when God frees you from that, you you get thankful for, for those actions and those things that God has brought into your life because what he's saying is as if you don't start with that, as you move on in life, that just then becomes a hidden part of your life and also not only a hidden part of your life, but also a uh, a point where it can grow even bigger. Exactly. Absolutely. So where, do, where does Jesus say that adultery begins? It, it starts at the heart, quite simply. It, it starts in a person's heart. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's dealing with heart issues here and what's what's internal, and, he's, and he goes into talking about what's inside a person's life here. Exactly. So what does Jesus mean by plucking out an eye and a hand? So, so going back to, yeah, yeah we, we just, just as a recap, we, you'll hear he's talking about, the eye is talking about uh, your thoughts and your hand. He's talking about your deeds. So mm-hmm. put yourself in, persp- in, a, in a place where you're not as tempted to, to think the thoughts, you know, try to try to remove anything that's causing you to sin and remove anything that's causing you to do bad things. And so remove those temptations from you. That's essentially what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. And, and run from them. Yeah, absolutely. And there's no shame in yeah. that. No, no. So Matthew 5, uh, 31 through 32. 31 through 32. Now, this one is, <laughs> we're going to have to talk a little bit about this one, and so I'll try to cover it as quickly as I can. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife must give her a written notice of divorce. But I tell you, whoever divorces his wife except a case of sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Okay, that last section is correlated back with the previous teaching here. So he's not saying that anyone who remarries has committed adultery. And and also understand the exception clause that he gives there as well. So there's a lot that goes into this that we've got to kind of... In fact, this could probably be its own podcast. I even thought about making just one podcast over this issue because there's so much to unpack with this. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That would be good to do. We just need to write down a list of all the stuff that we want to cover. <laughs> yeah, we've got to we'll have a list of podcasts just coming from this series. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. So what is, it, what is Jesus addressing when he speaks on divorce then? So here again, it's important to understand that Jesus is he's dealing with, a lot of what he's doing here is dealing with the interpretations that one has in the oral law. Uh, 
and the, the root of it goes back to Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1, which says, If a man marries a woman, but she becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, he may write her a divorce certificate, hand it over to her, and send her away from his house. Now, the big question in Jesus' day came down between two rabbis, Hillel and Shammai. Shammai said that you could never divorce your wife except for, except for uh, real severe situations because they're all asking the question, what does, what does it mean by something indecent? So Shammai says, he takes the conservative approach and says that it has to be something big before you can, before you can uh, divorce your spouse. Hillel takes the very liberal viewpoint he said that a person could divorce their wife, his wife, even if, she, say, she came home and burnt his biscuits. You know, if, if she comes home and burns your bread, then that's, that's adequate reason to divorce her. Now, you have to also understand what's going on here in the social world. For a woman, it was very difficult to, to make a living if she did not have a male in her family, be it a husband right. or be it a son because men were able to do to work in places that women were not able and many times for a woman in this situation she she would either end up in in um, uh, um, in, in a uh, oh what is the name of it it's a type of it's slavery but it's indentured indentured servitude is what it is it's, it's a type right. of slavery either that or she would end up having to give herself over to prostitution. Uh, so the the um, outlook for a woman who was put away wasn't very good, and so Jesus is he's he's not condemning divorce in every circumstance because he gives the exception clause. We only find this in Matthew, but there are good reasons for believing that this goes back to the original message of Jesus because what he does is he seems to side with Shammai. But here's the thing we need to remember. Jesus is taking this back to the original intention of God. And the original intention of God is for a man and woman to be married and that that marriage lasts a lifetime. That's the original intention behind God's institution of marriage. Right. Yeah. So do, uh, do any exceptions exist that permit divorce and remarriage then? Yes, absolutely. Uh, so Jesus gives us one here, sexual immorality. Paul gives us another one. I believe it's in 1 Corinthians 5, I think, if I'm not mistaken. I meant to have this written down, but I failed to do so. Uh, there's a teaching he gives in 1 Corinthians where he talks about a, uh, a couple being unequally yoked. Uh, one is a believer and one is an unbeliever. And so if the situation is that where the unbeliever leaves the believer because of his or her faith, then the believer is freed from that circumstance in such a, in such a means and can remarry. Um, I think you can also make a legitimate case uh, in Scripture uh, f for, for the issue of abuse. Uh, for marital abuse, uh, you know, I, I think that there can be a case oh, for sure. made there. I don't think, you know, knowing God uh, and knowing the, the standards and ethics of God, I don't think that God expects a woman to stay in a home where she's getting her brains bashed in uh, because of a man who's being a coward. I mean, it's a very cowardly, horrid thing for a person to treat 
his or her spouse in that manner. So, you know, I think you can make a good case for abuse uh, in that as well. Because I think even the intention behind sexual immorality and an unbeliever leaving a believer, uh, it it comes down to an issue of abuse in those cases as well. So Mm -hmm. I do think there are exceptions uh, to this rule. And I think that was the reason, because understand, Jesus just said that the law, every jot and tittle of the law, uh, was true. So he's not saying that Deuteronomy, what was it, 24, I think it was, 24.1. He's not saying that that's wrong. He's explaining He's explaining it in, you know, in uh, going in detail, trying to give an answer to this debate that had become really hot and heated uh, during this time. Right. Right. So what you're saying is in America we went wrong when we allowed no-fault divorce then. I have to get. I, I'm not sure what you mean there. <laughs> well, they have a they have the uh, the law that was passed. There's no fault divorce, essentially that uh, that nobody has to uh, um, have any any blame either side of it. They just they can oh, get divorced because oh. they just get divorced. Hey, I, I so. see what you're saying. Yeah, I think that Jesus is saying there has to be a, a, a before divorce happens. There needs to be. A good reason for it, but let me right. also say this: right. I, I think we have made a mistake as evangelical Christians because I think we have made divorce and remarriage the unpardonable sin, but we shouldn't. Mm. Um, right. You know, I I, th- I think that there. Are, you know, I think we also have to consider the fact: when did it happen? You know, d- did it right. happen before a person came to faith? You know, or sure. so I think we've sure. got to show yeah. grace in this issue. I don't think we've Absolutely. shown grace the way we should in many of these cases. Um, right. But I do think that Jesus is giving; a, he's clarifying what God intended, and he's and he's showing that marriage is important. You need to make your marriage work out. You know, with your spouse, children. Listen, children grow up best in a home with their biological mothers and fathers. Oh, absolutely. Saving the exception of abuse and things of that nature. But under general general, um, conditions and safe conditions, children by far do better academically, socially, in every single area that you can check off. They do better in a home where they are found with their biological mother and father. Right. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, and it's, it's, I don't, I don't know how it gets confused with an unpardonable sin as, as, you know, in Christendom, but, but you, you know, it is, it's like, well, how dare you? But, but does God really intend for, for us to live, um, in such miserable conditions where, um, two hearts are not united, pulling for one purpose. I mean, that's, and that's, and that's, I guess, where, where my my question comes into you. Then, as a pastor, how do you deal with this when when people clearly are are not pulling towards one purpose? You know, I think is I think is very difficult. Now, I I have uh, you know obviously this is an area where I have uh, received criticism because I have officiated marriages of people who had been previously divorced and where they're being remarried. Because I think biblically, if you look at the Scripture, there are exception clauses. And the times that I did right. perform the marriages, they, they were with individuals who, had, who were in uh, circumstances uh, where um, 
you know, it wasn't ideal. I, th- right. I think we need to. St- I think I think we can go one or two ways, uh, erroneous ways. On the one hand, I think we can go down the wrong path when we when we have, as you mentioned, a no fault divorce, where if you just want to trade your partner in for a newer model, you know, do so. Obviously, that's wrong. That's wrong because we need to strive to make our marriages work because we take a vow, made a vow to that person, made a vow to God. But on the other hand, I think we can become too so legalistic to the point that uh, as uh, I, I won't mention the name but there was a, a president of a uh, southern baptist seminary in texas and i just basically told you if you know what the seminary i'm talking about i probably just basically told you who it is um who who essentially told a woman who was being abused in her home that she just needed to stay in the home and pray for her husband uh, now oh, I, heck no. he came down hard as he should have, and uh, there were there were other issues that happened where he just told women just grin and bear it and go on with your life. Obviously, that is horrible, horrible advice to give to someone um, mm-hmm. in every stretch of the imagination. So I think that we can go one or two very faulty ways when we deal with this issue. Mm-hmm. And of course, that's going through. You know, hours of of good biblical counseling and sitting down with your pastor and seeking good godly advice and 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 help in in all sorts of ways. It's um, God wants you to preserve preserve that marriage, but if it's not pulling in in the same direction to to Him, um, I, I just can't see that He would um, find joy in that and want us to want us to live with that. Absolutely, I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah, and and then there again, I you know, and I know we're going way over time here, but but uh, there, there was a pastor who was a mentor to me, who who first challenged me on this issue, and he's, he's talking about his own son. He said his son had been uh, he's a very conservative Southern Baptist preacher in our area, and uh, his his son had been involved in a marriage that wasn't healthy, it wasn't productive. They divorced. And um, he, he said, Dad, he said, I'm miserable by myself. I need to find someone. And I know I've already been divorced. I'm miserable. And he said, it just God kind of spoke to him and, you know, he just reminded him of the scriptures that it's better to marry than to burn. And he said, you know, I officiated my son's wedding. He said, you know, was he just to live in misery over one bad decision that he had made in times past by marrying the wrong person? You know, and so he really challenged me. Again, this is a, this guy is as conservative as they come, um, but he really challenged me on that notion very early on in my ministry. And this is something I've been you know, really researching heavily um, ever since. Hmm. Yeah, it's always uh, always uh, something that you seek out the proper counseling and and uh, go through those avenues um, and do the best you can. So. Yeah, and, and like you said, going back to what you said, I think you're you're dead on the money. That that there needs to be proper counseling done. You, you need to strive to try to do everything in your power to make it work as best as you can. Uh, so I think pastoral counseling, family counseling, marital counseling, all of that needs to be attempted. And I, th- I think you make a right. great point there, Curtis. That that's something that definitely needs to be sought after. Right. Yeah, and I mean. If uh, you know, if a if a woman is in a situation where where she's being abused physically, get out, 
first exactly. call the cops, you know, deal with it legally and lawfully and, and get out and then seek the counseling to either, um, you know, dig into the situation and restore the situation or, um, you know, maybe it may be even legit to, uh, to separate for a while and to, and to actually mend the hearts that way. And it, I, I don't, I don't see an issue in being able to, uh, you know, physically counsel people through stuff like that and, and work with them and help them, help them find the, their paths. And it's going to hurt for a while. Oh, you yeah. know, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt for a while, but to spend the time and I'll tell you what, um, just walking alongside people um, in situations like that and just offering your your time and your shoulder and, and just uh, just your ear um, does more at, at a ministry level than you would ever imagine. Absolutely. Th- th- that's very true. And, and, you know, when you're dealing with people, I've learned this in ministry, I've learned this in chaplaincy, I've, I've just learned it dealing with the public in general. If you're going to walk beside someone and you're going to invest, pour out yourself in their lives, expect to get your hands dirty. Right. You're going to get your hands right. dirty. And so um, it just comes with the territory. But, you know, just think about this. Jesus left the throne of heaven to get his hands really dirty. Oh, <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Absolutely. Mm. Well... We here at Bellator Christi want to thank you for spending time together with us. Hey, did we have we one more section? Sure. We no, have... we didn't. That was it. That oh, was it the last one? I didn't know if we yeah, had 43 through 48. Nope. Oh, okay. Well, good deal. Nope. <laughs> That's next week then. I'm going <laughs> to jump ahead. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, Curtis. Well, you, jumped, you jumped ahead on me, and that's, <laughs> and I think it's fine because I like where, where we ended on this one. And uh, so, yeah, it's all good. So, thanks, folks, and uh, we... We at Bellator Christi want to thank you for spending time together with us, and we value that time. Our prayer is that this podcast helps stretch your mind and is a place to strengthen your faith as we strive to create an atmosphere of discussion and as a reliable source of information. Join us next time on the Bellator Christi podcast. And until next time, Brian and I say, So So your own friends. listening to the Bellator Christie podcast brought to you by bellatorchristie.com the opinions of our guests represent their own and may not reflect those of Bellator Christie Ministries or its affiliates the Bellator Christie podcast and bellatorchristie.com are protected under creative commons copyright all rights reserved the opening theme is the song crucified written by John and Michaela Limanis performed by Crosby Lane and produced by Mansion Entertainment Be sure to visit our YouTube page at www.youtube.com forward slash Bellator Christie. Also, please consider leaving a positive review on the apps where this podcast is found. We thank you for joining us today and hope to see you back the next time that we step into the arena of ideas. Have you ever wondered about the Christian faith, but have become bogged down by difficult terminology? Are you a Christian and faced doubts and you didn't know where to turn? Maybe your faith has been challenged and you don't know how to respond. 
or perhaps you desire to learn more about how to winsomely defend your faith, but you do not have the time nor the finances to enroll in seminary. If any of these situations describes you, then consider purchasing a copy of the Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics. This book confronts the challenges facing the Christian faith, but does so in a way that is accessible to everyone. The Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics is available in softcover, hardcover, on the Kindle, and Nook. Consider purchasing a copy of the Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics from your favorite bookstore today. Do you have a question about the Bible, theology, or apologetics that you've always wanted to ask but never felt comfortable asking? If so, we want to encourage you to head over to bellatorchristi.com and submit your question on the Submit a Question link. Your question will be reviewed and may be featured on a future article or podcast. Remember, the only dumb question is the one unasked. So go over to bellatorchristi.com now and submit your question.